You know, brothers and sisters, that is, um, some of these songs are really worth remembering. <clears throat> and the truth, the truth that we sing in that chorus, that all other ground is sinking sand, but that there is a solid rock upon which to stand. And you know, he's not just talking about a solid rock to make you feel good in hard times. He's talking about a solid rock upon which we can stand into all of eternity. When 10,000 years have gone by and 10 million years have gone by, that solid rock will be there much longer than Mount Everest. And that's Jesus Christ, the righteous. A rock to stand on. We'll stand there firmly. So if you would, take your Bibles and... Uh, and turn with me to John chapter 17. We're going to continue on. Um, if you haven't been here for past studies, I've been slowly working my way through John 17 with, uh, with this congregation. And, um, and it's called the High Priestly Prayer. That's what this chapter is known as. Um, as, a, as a note, it's something I'm, I'm just remembering now. Um, that it, we're looking at the Gospel of John and not uh, not the Epistles of John toward the end of the New Testament, but the Gospel of John toward the beginning of the New Testament. So John chapter 17. Read the word. Let's pray one more time and uh, and ask for God's blessing and help one more time. Our our God, we do pray once more that by your Majesty, by your grace, you would help us now as we look into these things. We're but flesh and blood trying to understand the things of God. But you have given to us, to, to us who have been born again by the living word, we pray that you would give to us understanding understanding of the things of God. Lord, please help. We have nothing to rely upon. We have no we have no smarts to rely upon in, in trying to be clear. We have no energy to to give to the listening of your word. All of that would be in vain if you did not help us, Lord. So God, please, please help us to hear and to understand and to believe and to do your word. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So John 17, I'm going to read from verse 14. The Lord Jesus Christ speaking here, and he says, I have given them your word, and the prayer, and uh, the, the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And we'll stop in the reading there. But just by way of 
bringing us up to speed. Um, think about the context, what we have here, brothers and sisters. We have the Lord Jesus Christ with his 11 disciples where he is praying a prayer, pouring out his heart to his Father on their behalf before he ascends to the cross. He has spent 33 years living on their behalf, fulfilling God's law that they could never fulfill, doing that which they could have never dreamt of doing. But now he's about to ascend to the cross on behalf of all those who had put their trust in him. And he's about to spill his own blood, shed his blood for their redemption from their sin. You know that Bible verse that says the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and so the Lord Jesus Christ is about to ascend the cross and pay wages and pay sin's wage. Either he was going to pay this wage for those who would trust on him, so that way they would never have to pay it themselves, or else those who would reject the gift would have to pay the wage themselves. But Jesus Christ is about to send the cross, ascend the cross. And what we looked at last time was verse 17. Lord Jesus prays, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And there are so many people in the world today who have no idea what truth is. They're like Pontius Pilate. They ask the same question that he, that he did. Pilate asked, what is truth? What is truth? But we know what the truth is. We have God's word. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And that word that is truth sanctifies. In other words, it changes God's people. It makes us more and more holy. It makes us to be more and more separate from the world and more and more like God. As we hear it, as we read it, as we believe it, and as we do it. If those things, if those verbs are not attached, the word isn't going to, it's not going to work in your life. Except unto your, except unto your greater condemnation. The Pharisees knew the Bible better than anybody. But it didn't do them any good because it wasn't mixed with faith. They missed Christ. They missed Christ in the Bible. So that's what we looked at this time. But today what we're going to look at is verses 18 through 19, where he actually gives the reasons for why he prayed what he prayed in verse 17. In verse 17, he prays for their sanctification, and we ask, well, why? And verses 18 and 19 answer that question, why? So the title for this morning's sermon is, is this, The Need for Sanctification. The need for sanctification. And my first point is, is from verse 18. And it's this. Because Christ sends us. 
That's why we need sanctification, because Christ sends us. Look at verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Notice that the Lord is not giving a request. He's not asking his Father for something in verse 18. He's giving a statement. Look at it. He says, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. You know that famous verse in Matthew chapter 9, when the Lord looked out and he sees the multitude. You might not know the chapter, but you know what happens. He then says to his disciples, The harvest is great and the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest that he send forth laborers into his harvest. That he send forth laborers into his harvest. Well, here in verse 18, that's what we have. The Lord Jesus sending forth laborers into the harvest. Sending them forth to do what? Sending them forth to do what? Sending them forth to speak and to preach the gospel of Christ. And this is the, uh, this is the first observation that I have about this. We see that, we see that Christ um, is asking for sanctification on behalf, of his, on behalf of his people because he is sending them into the world. Um, and, and we see first that, that the church has a commission to fulfill. The church has a commission to fulfill. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. We don't use the word commission a lot in today's culture. But an officer might receive a commission. An officer in the armed services might receive a commission. The command to go and fulfill a certain mission, fulfill a certain task on behalf of the one that gave you the command. Brothers and sisters, we see it right there in verse 18. That the church of God, you and I, have a commission to fulfill from Christ himself. Oh, it is so difficult to say these things and to not just get into rust. So pray for me right now, brothers and sisters, to not just let these words roll off my tongue. I want to speak person to person. I want to speak soul to soul. You see in verse 18... He says, I have sent them into the world. Stop and think about that. I have sent them into the world. In each one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this commission is, is spoken. It's articulated in all four of those Gospels. And it's also given in the book of Acts chapter 1 as well. I'll, uh, I'll give you those references in case you want to go and look them up later. We have Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and following. We have Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and following. We have Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 49. We have John 17, 18. And we have Acts 1, 8. All of those places talk about the Lord sending out his, his workers to continue on with the work. 
Now that's an important thing that that I that we need to see here in verse 18. Look at how the verse begins. It says, "As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world." Who he's speaking to is the Father. The Father, God, God the Father sent God the Son into the world to be the propitiation for sinners. And and as he sent the Son into the world to fulfill a mission, to fulfill a task, so too he sends his people into the world to fulfill a task. But what I want you to see is that it's the same task. It's the same task. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Now, even as I say it's the same task, I need to make this clear. There are some obvious differences, aren't there? We know that there are differences. We know that the Son of God came as God. We're just human beings going with a message. We know that He came as the King, coming to receive the subjects unto Himself, and we go as His heralds, pointing back to the King. But it's the same message. Um, you remember when John the Baptist saw the Lord Jesus in John chapter 1? He said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And, and when he was doing that, he was essentially just pointing at Christ Jesus. And what you and I do, what, what we say, is, is just like John the Baptist said. We say, Behold the Lamb. Look at the Lamb. Go to Christ. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop trusting in your own works. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the message that Christ came with was he said, Come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now they're different words, but it's the same message. Because it's pointing to the same person. Isn't it? Pointing to the same person. So, was that was the first point that I that I wanted you to see is that the church has a commission to go. It has a command to go, and when Christ gives the order to go, when He sends His people to go and to open their mouths on His behalf, there is no other option but to go. You remember? I wasn't I wasn't there present, but some of you were. In the Vietnam War, when the draft came, several men received the draft and they they ran. They didn't go. They left the country. They didn't keep the command. But others, when they received the draft, their brother Lance, he went. He went and he gave his service. Christ sends into the world. What are we going to do, brothers and sisters? What are you going to do? It doesn't mean that you're a missionary to Africa somewhere. It doesn't mean necessarily that you have to move. It doesn't even mean that you take up a pulpit or, or that you have to write fancy articles or become some kind of stellar Bible scholar. But what it does mean is that Christ Jesus has commissioned you 
bear witness to him, commissioning you to go for him. Now, potentially, there are some of you here who can't actually obey this command because you don't need, because you've never ever come to Christ initially. You can't go and speak of Christ if you have never found him. So what you need to do, you need to call upon him today. I'm going to read you a Bible verse. And I want you to think about it. If, the, if you've never yet come to Christ, if, you, if you've only ever played the game, this verse is for you. It says, John chapter 3 and verse 36, He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. Does not believe the Son shall not see light, but the wrath of God abides on The two options are open before you today. This is no time for games. This is no time for sentiment. This is no time for what makes you feel good or what makes you feel bad. This is time for reality, for flesh and blood eternity. If you have yet to bow the knee to Christ Jesus, the Lord, we need to do that today and receive life. Receive life. Why would you just run your way off to death? Throw your hand up in the face of grace and say, I don't want your way. I want my way. I want my way enough that I'm going to reject everything. You can't do that. That would be utter foolishness. Christ calls you today. He says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. Stop working to get to heaven. You have to trust Christ to get to heaven. And only after that has occurred can you actually keep the words of verse 18 to go on his behalf and tell of the glory of Christ, to tell of the glory of the Lamb that saved you from your sin. So come to him today. So the church has a commission. But the second thing is that is we see a lot, we learn a lot about Christ by just looking at this commission. We learn about Christ by looking at this commission. First, look at the authority that Christ has. He says, as you, me, the Son, into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Christ Jesus himself sent them into the world. You know what that means? That means Christ Jesus of Nazareth is God. That's what that means. If you were to turn to Matthew chapter 28, you would see Jesus Christ claim. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. It's the same commission, and he opens up he opens up by saying, the authority, the kingship, the rule is mine. And because it's mine, go. Go. So we see that Christ has authority. We see that Christ has a goal for his people more than our comfort. You see that? He says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Into the world. Into the world. Look back at... Uh, look back at verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. The world has hated them. 
What did they do to our Lord Jesus? It says in John chapter 1, it's verse 11, it says, He came to his own, but his own received his received him not. He came to his own people, and his own people rejected him. They crucified him, and they killed him. And do you know how the world is going to receive Christ's people as well? They're not going to receive us. They're not. You know as well as I that every time you're in a conversation with an unbeliever, there's kind of an unspoken rule. You can talk about anything you want. Just don't talk about my soul. You can talk about literally anything you want. Just don't talk about my soul. But we know, what we know, is that Jesus Christ has commissioned us, look at that, into the world, not out of the world, but into the world, in spite of the world's hostility. In spite of the world's hostility. So do you know what that means? That means this. That means Christ has purposes for his people that are greater than our comfort. That's deep stuff. That's deep stuff. He's sending us into a hostile world. That means he knows that it's a hostile world and he's sending us there anyway. Why is he doing that? Because the goal is greater than our immediate comfort. But now I want you to see this. I want you to see this too. When he says in verse 18, I also have sent them into the world. That means that we have nothing to fear even as we go into the world. Um, imagine this situation. Imagine this situation. That you have been a appointed an ambassador the United States of America, and you're being sent to Pakistan, or Iran, or Iraq, and as you come into the country, how do you feel? How do you feel? Well, if you really feel that the United States government is backing you, that you have come to Iraq with the full authority of the United States, with regard to these discussions, you don't feel anything at all, no matter how hostile the environment. You know why? Because you are working for someone who's far greater than yourself. You see the freedom that, that brings when Christ sends you? If Christ sends you, that means that you can go freely and not be afraid of what's going to follow. The Lord says in one of the Gospels, he says, Fear not them that can kill the body. Fear not them that can kill the body, but fear him that after he has killed can cast both soul and body into hell. But he has also said this in addition to all of that. Once we have become his allies, we are not only his servants, we are his children. And if children and heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, it's the greatest privilege in the world to be a Christian, isn't it? It's privilege to be able to go, knowing that God has got our back. He's on our side. What can man do to me? 
says, that's the scripture. The scripture asks, what can man do to me? It says in the book of Isaiah, it, the Lord tells his people, give no account to man in whose nostrils is but breath. In other words, human beings just breathe oxygen. You don't need to be afraid of them. You can go not being afraid of them. Here is one more point before we move on. This commission, that he gives us this commission to send us into the world, also means that he will give us the help we need in order to fulfill the mission. You see how that follows? He says, I also have sent them into the world. And if he has sent them into the world, if he has sent us into the world, that means he is going to help us in the our mission. It's like this. It's like a, a commanding officer sending soldiers into the war zone on, a, on an extremely dangerous mission. But the officer promises that he is going to lend air support. He's sending them with all the weapons they need, all the supplies they need in order to make sure that the mission is going to be accomplished. Jesus does the exact same thing for you and me. And I want to I want to prove it in this way. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 28. It's a couple pages to your left, Matthew chapter 28, and look at verse 20. When the Lord is giving another version of this great commission to his disciples. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20. The Lord gives this promise. After he said in verse 19, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. He says at the very end of verse 20, he says, and lo, I am with you always. Why do you think he ends by saying, I am with you? Not, not just I'm praying for you, but I am with you. Why do you think he says that? To give you and I the help we need to be able to go and fulfill the mission. Turn over to one more passage, and it's in John's. Um, it's in John's gospel. Well, actually, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Luke chapter 29. Luke chapter 29. So a couple pages to the right of the Gospel of Matthew, and a couple to the left of John. Luke 24. I'm getting all of my numbers mixed up today. Luke chapter 24. And verse 49, Luke 24, 49. This is another version of the commission, of the mission that Christ gives to his people as he's sending them in, into the world. I'll start in verse 47. That repentance and remission of sins, that is forgiveness of sins, should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you. That is, the Holy Spirit of God. I send the Spirit. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Look at that last phrase, power from on high. What does that mean? Power from on high. 
That means that the Lord Jesus Christ promises those who go for him, he promises his witnesses. You see that in verse 28. He says, you are witnesses of these things to go and tell the world what you have seen and heard, to go and tell the world what Christ has done for you. You're witnesses of these things. And he's going to send the Holy Spirit of the Father upon you and to endow you with power from on high. That is, ability with strength, the strength you need from God in order to fulfill the mission. Now, over in John chapter 17, John chapter 17 and verse 28, he says, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. What is the help that he's offering to give us here? Well, that help is in verse 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. In other words, here's what I want you to see. There's a connection between verse 17 and verse 18. Verse 18, I'm sending them in, into the world. So what do they need? They need sanctification. They need holiness. Why do they need holiness? Verse 18. I am sitting into the world. You see that? The um, the connection is the connection is profound. The connection is this: as we go in service to Christ, something is very very key. Do you want to go for Christ? Do you want to be a witness for Christ in your workplace? Do you want to be a witness for Christ in your family? You want to be a witness for Christ in your hometown? You need something, child of God. You can't go without sanctification. Well, what's sanctification? Verse 17, sanctify, sanctify. That means make holy. Now, that's not the same thing as save them and bring them to heaven. That's not the same thing. That's called justification. Every believer is justified. And that is a one-time act of God upon faith in Jesus Christ. Every believer who is justified has been made right with God. Justification, justification, is a work that God alone does and that you don't have any part in doing. You can't contribute to your justification before God at all. You can't make yourself right with God at all. You can't get yourself to heaven at all. That's justification. Now, sanctification is an act of God in the life of his people after they have been saved. In other words, after they have been saved, God's people are made more and more holy. They're made more and more like Christ. They're made less and less like the world. They're set aside more and more to God's purposes for their lives. More and more they think like God thinks. 
That's what it says in, in um, that's what it says in Romans chapter 12. So, so I wanted to make that clear in verse 17. When he says, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth, he's not saying you need to justify them. Christians are already justified. But every Christian needs more and more to be sanctified. Okay? So then, so then here's the point. Here's the point. The point is that as you go to be a witness for Christ, more and more you need God's sanctification in your life. More and more, you need to be less like the world and more and more like Christ. Well, how does that happen? Look at the end of verse 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Well, what's that? Your word is truth. Your word is truth. Um... I'm going to take time to take you there to show you an example of this played out. Turn over to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2. 2 Timothy, chapter 2. Um, most of the T's of the, New, of the New Testament are, are right beside each other, by the way. You have Thessalonians, Timothy, and Titus. And incidentally... It, it also goes from the longest name to the shortest name. Thessalonians, longest. Timothy, middle. Titus, super short. Okay, so just a mnemonic to remember where those are. So we're in 2 Timothy, chapter 2. And I want to show you some of these, play, some of these things played out in the, in the life of one of the disciples of Christ, one of Christ's later followers named Timothy, who was a pastor in the city of Ephesus. And Paul is writing a letter to him, and what he says here in verse 2 is this. He says, The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now what does that sound like? That sounds like Paul is telling Timothy, Look, you need to go and propagate the mission. Pass the mission on. Does that ring? Look down at verses 3 and 4. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. In other words, as Timothy is being sent out on mission for Christ, he's going into a hostile world. And what does he need? He needs endurance. You need endurance in your warfare as a good soldier. So what does that mean? If you're a good soldier of Christ, you're not entangling your, uh, yourself in the affairs of this life. In other words, when you're on duty, you're on duty. You, you, you've, given, you've given your life and your career in order to be a good soldier of Christ. Um, look down at look down at this at this good good promise in verses 11 and following. This is a faithful saying: For if we die with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. 
If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. What Paul is doing is he's laying out these motivations to Timothy to keep enduring in the service to Christ. If we die with him, what's at the end? What's at the end? Life. Life everlasting. But now I want you to see this. Look down at uh, look down at verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. In other words, if you go into a house, what you might have is you might have like a glass vase, and you might have a china bowl, and you might have like the iron kettle that sits on your wood stove. And all these different vessels, all these different pieces of, um, of cutlery and silverware and whatnot, uh, your, your different dishes, they're used for different purposes. And if they're used for fine things, they're going to be beautiful and pretty. But if they're made out of clay, or if they're made out of wood, you just might throw your, your wood stove in there, or uh, your, your firewood in there. You see, the, you see the picture that he's painting for Timothy. Now what he's going to do is he's going to say, Timothy, you are going to be one of these, one of these different containers. You're going to be one of them. Look down at verse 21. He says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So now, what I want to do is, I want to connect those dots for you. You see how, you see how Paul is telling Timothy, look, if you cleanse, if you cleanse yourself, in, in other words, not cleanse yourself to the justification of your soul before God, but if you resist sin, if you fight sin, if you grow more and more in sanctification and holiness, more and more will you be useful for the Master. You see that? You will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the Master. So what I, what I then wanted to do then is, is tie those two things together. I wanted to I wanted to show you how in in John 17 that worked out in the life of a Christian named Timothy, where as he is sent into the world, he is told, "Grow in sanctification, grow in holiness, and therefore in usefulness in the mission to God." So now one more one more major point that I want to draw to your attention. Um, as uh, as we bring this message to a close. So in verse 17, he says, sanctify them. Verse 18, he says, sanctify them because I'm sending them out. They need to be holy because I'm sending them out. This church needs to be holy because it's being sent out on behalf of Christ to fulfill the mission. But verse 19 is... Make them holy, and for their sakes I sanctify myself that they may be sanctified by the truth. In other words, 
verse 17, make them holy, verse 19, because I am making them holy. Because I am making them holy, make them holy. You see how that argument works? Um, so, you know, I when, when Christ says in verse 19, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that might raise some questions. Because we might think, well, Christ was always, he was always sinless. Why does he need to be sanctified? You see that in verse 19? For their sakes, I sanctify myself. Obviously, it does not mean that Christ was making himself more and more sinless. It says elsewhere in the Bible that he was a spotless lamb. He had no sin. He was God in the flesh. He has no sin. So then what does he mean when he says, For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. What he means is that he has set himself apart Holy to God's purposes, including his own, because he's God, in order to assure his people's sanctification. Now, hopefully that makes sense. Verse 19, I'm setting myself completely apart and dedicating myself to this mission to ensure that these, my people, will be sanctified by the truth. So, I want to, um, I want you to expound upon that a little bit. The first thing that, that I want you to see is the method of sanctification is still the same. You see how it ends, how verse 19 ends, it says that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Not by falsehood, but by not by something that makes you feel good not by something that makes you feel religious not by something that makes you feel close to God but by truth have you ever known anyone who has felt healthy almost all their life and then all of a sudden all at once it comes to their attention they have cancer, and in two weeks they die. We know those kinds of stories. And the reason why I bring up that illustration is it shows that feelings don't mean much by way of whether a thing is true or not. We're not sanctified by how we feel. We're sanctified by truth. We're sanctified by truth. God's word. Um, another observation that I want us to see here is when he says, For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. It's obvious that Christ wants his people to be holy. You see that? It says that he has dedicated himself he has sanctified himself. To what end? That they also may be sanctified. In other words, he wants us to be holy. Christ has a purpose for your life. He doesn't want you, child of God, to stay like the rest of the world. 
happen. Here's the other thing. If you want to stay like the rest of the world, then you don't want for you what Christ wants for you. Your will is in conflict with His. And at that point, you have a question to ask. Christ going to be your God? Or are you going to be your God? Turn over with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. It's a couple books to the right. Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to show you Christ's desire for his people, the church. And how much he has dedicated to ensure that his people, that you and I would be holy. That we wouldn't just spew this religious jargon and play the part, that it, but that it would really work into your and my heart. That you and I would get a vision, that we would, that we would get a burning and a yearning zeal in our heart of hearts to actually be like Christ and not like the world. That we would be like Christ as we go on the mission. So look down at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. The Apostle Paul says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. How did he do that, brothers and sisters? He literally gave his life for his church. He literally laid himself down for his church. That was for you and for me. Not as some kind of amorphous name in a crowd of billions that he did not know, but that he knew in his brain as he hung on the cross that this was for Malachi Moody. To give his life for me, along with every other blood-bought child of God. Why did he do that? Look at verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse Cleanse her with the washing of water. How? By the word. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is true. Look at verse 27. That. What's, what's the big goal of that? Why did he give himself to sanctify the church? Why did he give himself to, to clean her up? To purify her? Why did he, he do that? Look at verse 27. That he might present her to himself a glorious church. A glorious church. You know that what Christ wants for you? If you're a blood-bought saint of God, if you're a Christian, Christ wants you to be part of a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Look at the desire. Look at what Christ wants for his people. And if you're anything like me, you struggle with a cold heart, with a cold, dead, religious heart. You read these words, and it's just religious words to you. And you hate it. You hate that you hate that you don't want your holiness like Christ wants your holiness. You see what he did for you. 
you wish, you wish, you wanted for yourself. What Christ wants for you. And in my heart of hearts, and in your heart of hearts, child of God, isn't that, isn't that what you want? Don't you want to be one of the members of the glorious church without spot, without wrinkle, holy and without blemish? The glorious church. But now there's one other thing, and I end with this. Even as Christ wants these things for his church, and so propels us to holiness and gets us out of our seats and gets us, gets us in the word to be sanctified by the word, to be taught by the word, to hear the word, to keep the word, obey the word, even as it inflames those desires in our hearts. We need to encourage ourselves that Christ actually already accomplished it on the cross. In John 17, verse 19, he says, For their sakes I have sanctified myself, that they also might be sanctified by the truth. You see that, that they also might be sanctified by the truth. Here's the question. Is Christ going to fail in sanctifying his people? He will not fail. He shed his blood to ensure it. It says that he sanctified himself to ensure it. He set himself completely from the very first breath of his life. Think of this. From the very first breath of his life unto the very last gasp for air on Mount Calvary. He had sanctified himself to the cause to ensure my sanctification and your sanctification. And I want to encourage us with these with these thoughts as we as we wind this down. Look at uh, Philippians one six. If you're still in Ephesians, it's just a page to the right. Philippians chapter one and verse six. The apostle Paul says. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You see that as he started a work in you, Christian? Do you struggle with sin, Christian? Do you struggle with your flesh? you struggle with being like the world? Jesus Christ, who has begun a good work and you will complete it. This is promise. Turn over a couple more pages to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, chapter 12 and verse 2. Hebrews 12, 2. We see that Jesus Christ is called something wonderful on behalf of his people. God's names mean something. When the Son of God was called Jesus, he was called Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. And look at this name. 
In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Does that encourage you, child of God? Does that encourage you? If he's the one that began it, then I'm not going to thwart his purposes. He's called the author of my faith. If he's the one that began it, then he's certainly going to finish it. I try to finish everything I start. But I fail sometimes to finish everything I start. Jesus Christ never fails to finish anything he starts. Do you remember what he said on the cross? He said, it is finished. Is where he bought the people with his blood. He purchased their justification. He purchased our sanctification. He purchased heaven on our behalf. The glorious, glorious thing. So, brothers and sisters, this is it. The reasons for sanctification. The reasons for sanctification. Why do we need to be sanctified? One. We need to be sanctified because we have been sent into a world on mission for Christ Jesus. You can't do that without being holy. And two, we need sanctification because Jesus Christ has given his all to ensure our sanctification. So, one, let that encourage you to know that Christ has your sanctification. You let that propel you forward. If you are locked in sin, if you're locked in in a sin that you feel that you just can't defeat, whether it's a hot temper, whether it's fornication whether it's greed, whether it's covetousness, if you feel yourself locked in sin, let these words propel you forward to fight. Fight your sin and to grow in sanctification. And let these words encourage you that that is what Christ wants for you. But if you're not a Christian, if you still think that you're going to get to heaven by something that you do, you're not a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, then what you need to do right now in your is you need to spend some time with the Lord. And you need to take stock of your heart and ask the question, in what am I trusting to get me to heaven? Am I trusting in the goodness of my soul? Am I trusting in the strength of my faith? Am I trusting in my kindness to other people? Or am I trusting in Christ Jesus alone and in what he did for me? And if you're wondering how it is that you become a Christian, it, it starts with repentance. It, it starts from dying 
dying to your way of life and trusting completely in Christ and what he has done for those who have received him. That's it. That's it. It's called repentance and faith. If you have any questions, feel free to give me a call or my dad a call. We'd be happy to answer any questions that you have. Um, thank you for your patience today. The Lord is good, brothers and sisters. And more and more, I want to see how good he is. Don't you? Don't you want to see how good he is, how great our Christ is? So pray, and we'll be dismissed. Our, our great God in heaven, we give you, we give you the thanks that you are the God of all flesh. You are the God of every man, woman, and child, not only who lives now, but whoever will live and who has ever lived. You are God, and there is no I thank you that you have loved me the way that you have. I thank you that you have loved this wretched man, one whose heart is so sick, this one who needs, who needs such a great Savior. Oh, God, thank you for being willing to save me. I pray for my brothers and sisters here today that you would please give them, give them a renewed commitment to pursue holiness. And I pray for any here who might be lost, that you would give them, that you would not give them rest or peace until they rest in you. Give them no rest or peace unless, until they rest in you, I pray. To your name be all the glory. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.